Today we're finishing up our series on pursuing shalom. We started this the second Sunday in uh, September, or second or third Sunday in December, or September. We're carrying it through here. Next week, uh, we will start our Advent series, which I'm pretty excited about. We're going to walk through the book of Isaiah, not walk through the entire book, but we're going to use Isaiah to set us up for the Advent season by looking at the vision, the vision that Isaiah had for the Messiah and the new creation that is coming through, the, through God's Messiah. So we're going to be walking through, uh, looking at a few different passages within Isaiah. So that'll start next week, but today we'll finish our sermon sermon series on pursuing shalom, uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's been a great series. Y'all seem to have engaged it really well. God seems to be talking and moving, and, uh, and, and we'll see if anything continues to come out of it. That's what, we'll, what I have to say. Let's pray as we get ready to go into the, the scriptures. Father, may your word be our rule. May your spirit be our guide. And above everything, above all that is going on, above our to-do lists, above the gatherings that happen, above all the activities, above our worries, above our concerns, above it all, may Jesus Christ be our chief concern. Even so, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to, the peop- to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by a gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So, as Paul begins to write the book to the letter to the Ephesians, he starts out the first couple of chapters and really sets them up with some pretty profound theology about salvation in Christ. Uh, 
And then he changes gears just slightly into chapter 3 and begins to say that there's this special mystery that was made known to me and now is being made known to all of the apostles that the gospel that Jesus preached, the kingdom of God, is not just for Israel, but it is also for the Gentiles. And I, Paul, was given the specific task of taking this gospel administering this grace by preaching it to you, the Gentiles. And so what he's saying, what Paul is saying, is that God is gathering to himself a people to make known the glory of Christ to the world. And the way that Paul does this is by emphasizing a phrase that we looked at way at the beginning of this sermon series. He says it a couple of different times here. He says, in him or in Jesus And what he's emphasizing is that our reconciliation with God, our participation in the life of God, is found in Christ. And the way that that comes about is that the Holy Spirit works in our lives to both convict us of our sin, to bring us to a place of understanding our need for forgiveness from God, and then uniting us to Christ in a way that only the Holy Spirit can do. Our salvation does not come because of our best efforts. It does not come about because of our earnest discipline, but rather it comes because of the Holy Spirit intimately connecting us to Jesus such that when God sees us, he sees his Son. We are in Christ. We belong to him. We are connected to him. And nothing can separate us from the love of God of God as we are united to Christ Jesus, his son. This is our salvation. This is the grace that God extends to us. And and as the Spirit of God does this work, as it works in the hearts and the minds of people, of people of different races and backgrounds, in ethnicities, and languages. It not only works in the hearts and the minds of the individuals to connect them to Christ, but it does so to connect them to one another. And God actively gathers all of these people, all of these races, all of these languages, all of this diversity into the church. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the church in a way that I think we know and that we understand, particularly, particularly if we've grown up in the church, been around the church, and, and, and heard a number of sermons. I think we understand this idea of the church, but maybe it doesn't get talked about enough. And so, so we'll say it like this. Most of us, when we think about church, we think about this, right here, what we're doing, right? We think about a particular people, at a particular place, at a particular time. We think of songs and we think of sermons. We think of buildings and we think of programs. Right? That's most often when we think of the church, that's what comes to mind because that's what's very concrete for us. But we, if, again, if we've grown up in the church, we also believe that and know that the church is more than that. And so we often frame it as in, there's the little C church, this, a local expression And then there's Big C Church, right? The the universal church. All of the Christians around the world throughout all of history, right? Little C Church, 
here, Big C Church, universal. And, and again, we know these distinctions. We understand this, we get this. But what we may not spend a lot of time thinking about is how these two actually connect. Like, what's the relationship between the local church and the universal church? Is it, is it just enough to say, well, the little church is a part of the big church? Do we think about what's going on in the big church in such a way that, that it impacts how we show up in our local expression? Yeah. So, so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to start big and, and ethereal and almost theological, and then I want, to, I want to bring it down into something that's tangible and local that we can get our minds around. So let's start with one of our creeds. A couple weeks back, Ryan, during the worship set, and he and I did not plan this, it was the work of the Holy Spirit, he talked about the definition of a creed and what a creed is. And so creeds are, simply put, a summarized statement of belief. They exist to help clarify what it is that we believe. And so you can think about them, they aren't scripture, and they're not above scripture, but they help us understand and translate and interpret scripture, right? If you, if you want to understand very succinctly what, is it, what does a Christian believe, you can look at the Apostles' Creed. If you want to expand that just a little bit more, you can go to the Nicene Creed, right? The, we, the church throughout history has often taken these huge, complex ideas that are all throughout this book and then made them simple, distilled them down to their essence. This is what it is that we believe. And oftentimes, these creeds or these confessions come about during a time of conflict, right? So in the 16th century... The Netherlands and Belgium were one region known as, the, as, as Belgica, right? And in that place, you had Dutch Reformed churches. <laughs> the mother churches, right, if you will. <laughs> I'm going to stop right there. I'll get in trouble. So you had in that region, you had Dutch Reformed churches. And these Dutch Reformed churches were being persecuted by the Catholic Church. The Catholics believed that these Dutch Reformers were rebels and were bad citizens and heretics. And in hopes of distilling, of, dis, dis, uh, of contradicting that idea, of saying, no, you know, we're not rebels, we're, we're not heretics, these churches came up with a confession that said, this is what it is that we believe. It's known as the Belgic Confession. And it's one that our denomination has adopted as a statement of this is what we believe. And the Belgic Confession is broken down into different articles. So it's got articles about, like, this is what we believe about who God is. This is what we believe about salvation. This is what we believe about uh, uh, the Trinity. All of these different things. And one of the things that it says is this is what we believe about the church. So here's what that, that creed says. In Article 27, for those who really care, says, We believe and confess one single Catholic or universal church, a holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers awaiting their entire salvation in Christ Jesus, being washed by his blood and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I've highlighted what I think is going to be important. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last until the end, as appears from the fact that Christ is eternal king who cannot be without subjects. 
And this holy church is preserved by God against the rage of the whole world, even though for a time it may appear very small to human eyes, as though it were snuffed out. It goes on. And so this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain people, but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, though still joined and united in heart and will in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. So notice how big and broad the church is according to Belgic. It is the church that has existed since the beginning of time and that will exist until the end of time. It is the church that is not bound by people or place, but extends to all peoples. The Heidelberg Confession, which is another uh, confession of our denomination, of the RCA, uh, and it was written in Heidelberg as an effort to unite churches and to teach what it is we believe. And so this catechism is written in question and answer form. What do, what do we think about the Lord's Supper? What do we think about the Apostles' Creed? What do we think about the, different te- the Ten Commandments? And it has answers. Um, you know, the first question is the famous one. What is my only hope in life and death that I am not my own, but I am, belong to Christ Jesus, body, mind, and soul? Like, these are how it teaches. And so it has a question there, what about the church? And it says this, I believe that the Son of God, through his Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a member. That last sentence adds a huge idea to what the Belgic said. The Belgic makes these massive assertions about the church. The church has existed from the beginning of time and will go on till the end of time. It is preserved by God against the rage of the world. It is not confined. It is not bound. It is not limited in any capacity by people, by place, by history. None of that, but it spreads throughout the entire world. And then Heidelberg comes along and says, and I belong to that. You belong to that church. If you declare that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, whether or not you are a member of this church, whether or not you are a member of another church, whether or not you've ever had a membership at a local church, if you declare Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you belong to the community that God has gathered that extends from the beginning of time to the ends of time and extends to all people and all nations. You belong to a community that will, I mean, just think about it, wrap your mind. You belong right now. You belong to a community that will exist until the end of time. You belong and are a citizen of a kingdom that will last longer than any kingdom or empire on the face of this earth. You belong because Jesus came, sent by the Father, And said, I will go look for the one lost sheep. That one is mine. I will take them home with me. And according to Paul, that church of which you are a member is making the manifold wisdom of God known. Not just on earth, but to the heavenly realms and the heavenly authorities as well.
Yeah. Now the word that Paul uses for manifold in the Greek is the word polupoikilos, right? And, and it, it means like many colored, right? It, we, we translated it manifold. It, it really means man, uh, many colored. It's used, if you think like a bouquet of flowers, right? And you've got ro- red roses and white roses and lilies and sunflowers and lilac, purple lilacs and you know, maybe a pink carnation for some, you know, whatever. Like, you've got all of these many colored flowers in this bouquet. It's polypokilos, or a crown with many colored jewels, rubies and emeralds and amethysts. Right. Embroidered cloth, woven carpets. When the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into the Greek, and it told the story of Joseph getting that, that many-colored jacket from uh, his father. It's polypokoilos, poikilos. It's many-colored. So John Stott then, who is a famous Anglican evangelical, he wrote this about, the, about this section of Scripture. We talk about the manifold wisdom of God. He says, the church as a multiracial multicultural community is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. No other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique. It is God's new society. And the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored wisdom of God. This is the mystery that Paul is talking about. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for one people group. It is not just for one race. It is not just for those who speak one language. But it is for the entirety of the world and all peoples who live on it. And as God saves people from every nation and every tribe and every ethnicity and every, nation, uh, every country, he gathers this diverse group of people together so that now they are in one, not just community, but family. They are brothers and sisters in Christ, heirs to the same inheritance. This is what God is doing, and this is what will reveal the manifold or the multicolored wisdom of God to the world and to the heavenly realms. Which sounds like an absolutely crazy idea. Because diversity is hard. Left to our own devices, we as human beings do not put ourselves in positions of diversity. We do not put ourselves in places of diversity. And we'll just be completely honest, we don't really like it. It's even, it's, it's neurologically wired in our brains. That we feel the most secure and the most safe when we feel like we're among people who look like us, who talk like us, who have values like us, who, who eat like us, all of that, when, we, when there's uniformity or conformity in that manner, our brains are actually hardwired to feel safe in those situations. And when differences appear, when people who don't sound like us and we can't understand what they're saying, or they don't look like us, or their food smells different. It actually triggers the amygdala, the reptilian part of our brain, and we start feeling that fight-or-flight response. 
It's a threat. And we need to respond to that threat in the way that we do when we experience a threat. Fight or flight. And just with those two terms alone, we can see as America has really taken on its project in diversity, we can see how it's worked. When I'm, right now, I'm currently reading a book called The Warmth of Other Suns. And it documents the 70-ish year migration of African Americans out of the South under Jim Crow laws, fleeing to the North to try to have a better life and to try to escape oppression. All right? Started in like the 1900s, goes roughly to the 1970s. Fascinating book. But what you begin to see, and what we've all heard before, is that as African Americans moved into white communities, what happened? They call it white flight. We moved out. Right? It got triggered. Diversity is hard. This doesn't feel safe. I feel threatened. My way of life, my understanding, my community, it's changing. I, I don't want that. Other times what happened is, and the book talks about this, is people would finally save up enough money, would buy a home in a largely white neighborhood, and mobs would form. They'd be run out of their house, their, their things would be thrown out of the windows into the streets, and they would be burned. Fight. It's hard. Diversity is hard, which makes God's project of gathering a diverse group of people seem incredible. It seems incredible that God would say, this is how I then am going to make my wisdom known to the world. This is how I'm going to reveal to the powers and the principalities, to the heavenly authorities, that what I'm doing is good and is right and is ultimately beautiful. And so the reason that we work for unity within the church, embracing the diversity of every tribe and every nation and every language is because we believe that God has said, this. This is how I'm going to make my wisdom known. This is how I'm going to reveal what I'm doing. This is how I'm going to bring my shalom. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be work. But it's my wisdom, and it will be revealed. So notice, notice that the wisdom of God will be known through the church, not by how big the buildings get. Notice that the wisdom of God through the church will not be seen by how many people attend on a Sunday morning. Notice that the wisdom of God through the church will not be seen through how awesome the pastor's sermon is. The wisdom of God will be seen through the church when we live out our salvation and work for reconciliation and peace and unity and shalom among God's people. This is how God is going to reveal his manifold wisdom to the world and to the heavenly realms. This is what the Big C Church is about. And so often we lose sight of that. And, 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 and we lose sight of that because, because again, it's, 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 it's intangible, right? It's, like, how do you wrap your mind around a group of people that have existed since the beginning of time and will exist until the end of like, how do you how, how do you embrace that idea? How do you live that idea out? And so it becomes much easier to focus in on visions and vision statements and mission statements. And, and, and because it's easier to focus on those things, those those goals that we set, 
And we believe that we're setting them in line with the Holy Spirit. Don't hear me say that. But those goals that we set then become our universe. They become the center. They become everything that we get wrapped out about, wrapped up, up in, and we can lose sight of that which is bigger. Or we can, better yet, we lose sight of how our vision, our objectives, our goals fit into the story of the church that has existed since the beginning of time and will exist to the end of time. Right? It's much easier to think about a, a building project. And so like, we come up with a building project and the whole church rallies around it because that's easy. Like we can talk about, like we want to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the universe by living out unity among people through all, church, you know, through all Christians throughout time. And we're just like, wait, how do I do that? But a building project, ooh, I know how to get behind that. And again, these things are important. But if we're not careful, we lose sight that everything we do is in the broader context of the story of the church that has existed from the beginning of time to the end of time. So let's be honest about our vision, our vision of impacting the community that lives within a five-minute radius of our church fits into the broader story of the church from the beginning of time to the end of time. Our goal, mission, to start a preschool isn't just about getting more people into the building. It's not just about increasing revenues. It's about actively serving our community so that the manifold wisdom of God can be known. Our dream to have space for one more person. To make sure that that one person you're praying for, the one person that you're hoping to come see Jesus, that one person who you have been building a relationship for that time in which they say, you know what, I think I want to come hear about Jesus. I think I want to come to your church. When we want to be ready for that one person who you have been caring for and loving and reaching out to, we want to make sure that there's space here, not because we want to get a bigger church and not because we want to increase numbers, but because we want to make the manifold wisdom of God known as his salvation goes out to all peoples. It isn't. None of what we are doing is about getting a bigger church. None of what we are doing is about competing with churches around us. If it was any of those things, if it was simply about growing numbers or growing financials or growing buildings, if it was about any of those things, our vision would be too small and too shallow. It would be too focused on us. And that isn't to say that we don't believe in our mission and vision. We don't, that isn't to say we don't think that it's God-led but rather it's to say that it happens within a story that is much bigger than us. It happens within a, a purpose and a mission of God's that extends far beyond our lifetimes. When we were in Italy, <laughs> keep coming back to Italy this series, it's almost as if that was a formative experience, but we went to Italy. And we went to a city called Orvieto. Orvieto is a fascinating city. It, it sits about the halfway point between Florence in the north and Rome in the south, right along the main road that connects those two major cities. And it is, the city itself sits up on top of a plateau. It is, like, it is literally a flat mountain with cliffs all the way around it. And because it's along that main road between Florence and Rome, and because it sits high up on that, that almost impenetrable plateau, it was a very strategic military location, and because of that, it was a fought-over place. And the people who lived in there were the original preppers. I mean, they, uh, they 
ensured that if they were ever under siege, they would have water by building these massive well down to the well. I forget how far. It's like 70 meters down or 90 meters. It was something ridiculous like that. It went straight down. And what was incredible is they built it with a double helix. So as you walk down this down into the well, you're going down one side. It was wide enough for a donkey pulling a cart to go down to the bottom. You get to the bottom, you fill up the, the jugs of water, put them on the cart, and then you just keep going down this path and it takes you up the other way. The idea is you don't cross paths going up and down. It's a double helix. It, you go down one, you go up the other. Absolutely phenomenal. Under the houses within these preppers, what they did is they built caves, particularly around the edge of the city, which would be on the edge of these cliffs. They built, I call them caves, but they're really basements. The house would be up top, there's stairs that go down in there, and then underneath they just carved out of the rock these basements, and then in the rock walls were hundreds of holes, and they were nests for pigeons. And then they built windows out of the side of the cliff so that the pigeons could go in and out, and they would raise pigeons. That way, if the city was under siege, you know, you got army all around that plateau, they're raising pigeons. We're good. That's what we'll eat. And you can still eat pigeon there today. We did not. Uh, but you can. So these were the original preppers. Now what's crazy is as you drive up to Orvieto, you see that massive cathedral from a distance. Just stands out like crazy. You can't miss it. And inside, you can, and then not only does it dominate the landscape from afar, but when you get to the to the to the um, square around the Duomo here, it's absolutely just dominates the place. And you can see it's ornate and it's beautiful. It's gold and art and is on the inside it's just as much. I mean, you see here another one. It's just, just dwar- I mean, it stands w- way over all the other buildings. It dwarfs them. Inside is spacious Massive columns, artwork along the back and up in the altar and the chancel there. Stained glass windows that just take your breath away. You can't even absorb it all while you're there. The organ set and all. It's just a phenomenal building. I think that's all of the ones I have. Let's go back to this one here. Oops, there we go. Now, here's what's fascinating. This is what caught, I mean, outside of all of the other stuff, here's something that stood out to me. The flagstone for this Duomo was laid in 1291, or no, 1290. 1290 A.D. was the first stone that was laid for this cathedral. It was completed in 1591. 301 years it took to build that building. Now put it in perspective. If that building, if that flagstone was laid in 1776, it would still be, it would not be completed yet. It took longer to build that building than America has been an independent country. Yeah. Now, we were there, and you all were here. And I kind of, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't staying in touch, but I knew what was happening because of where things were going. So I knew that you all were talking about whether or not we start a preschool, and you were talking about whether we are going to do renovations to the building. And so that's in the back of my mind, as we walk through this church. And I began to imagine, what would it be like to be pastor of a church who had that vision? And what would it be like to be a pastor who went to people and said, we're going to build a cathedral. 
I need you to give your resources to it. I need you to give money. I need you to give time. You're going to have to work. Any other resources, you're, I, I would like you to consider giving them to this project. But you won't see the end result of it. And your kids will not see the end result of it. Your grandkids will not see the finished project. Nor will your great-grandkids. But I need you to give. I need you to be invested in this. Any way that you can, please be involved. (laughs) Can you imagine what that would have been like? Can you imagine what that would be like in our day and age? I mean, when we do building projects, we like to be like, here's how it will benefit you. Here's what you'll get out of this. We want to make sure that our preferences get heard, our desires get, get considered, right? But if the project takes 300 years, I don't care what color the carpet is. I don't care the layout. I don't care what is in the building or what's not in the building because it's very clearly not about me whatsoever. It's about something much bigger. It's about something much grander. It's something that extends far beyond. I mean, it's almost easier to connect it to that church, that community that exists from the beginning of time to the end of time because I know there is no chance that I will ever get to see the finished project. Who cares what I'm giving it? Like, as long, like, what, 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 what it begins to matter more is, am I giving my money, my time, my resources to something that is going to make a difference? Something that's going to leave an impact? Something that's going to ripple out? That's what begins to matter. All the preferences, all the small little things, like, just... It falls to the wayside. Is this going to last? And I want to contend to you that that ought to be our mindset as the church of Jesus Christ. Will what we are building, will it be here in 300 years? Well, check that, because that church is still there. It took 300 years to build. 700 years, it's still there. But maybe let's just think about it like this. Are we giving ourselves to something that is so big and so grand that it will take 300 years to build? And I can safely say that giving ourselves to a building project is not something that is going to take 300 years to build in 2019. We're remodeling a room back there. We hope it to have it done in like... 39 days, you know, like. And I will also say this, in 300 years, I'm just, I'm just making a projection. I'm putting on my prophet's hat. In 300 years, this building will not be here. I'm just guessing. I'll, I'll even go so far as to say that there's a high likelihood that Christ Community Church, as a community, people, as an expression, will likely not be here in 300 years. The church will have disbanded, the building sold, well, we're in different places. I mean, well, obviously we're in different places. One place. <laughs> but the church will close its doors and we'll move on. But are we doing something here that is connected to that broader big C church story? 
Are we giving ourselves to something that'll take 300 years to build? And, I'm not, and again, I'm not talking about the building. You see, maybe, maybe we start a preschool and we give a kid an education and we do it with people who love that child and who care for that child and it instills within them a love to learn. And that child continues to grow and to learn and to love the process of learning and they pass that on to their child and that pa- they pass it on to their child and now a family for generations is given to learning. And it's a value that impacts generations to come. Maybe, maybe that person that you're praying for, that person that you long to see Jesus or Jesus like take hold of, that person to, who, who comes to faith, maybe they do. They come to faith in Jesus and they grow in their faith and they disciple their family and their family comes to, to faith in Jesus and then their kids' kids come to faith in Jesus and their kids' kids' kids come to faith in Jesus. And now it's not just about that one person who came to Jesus, but it's about families, four, five, six deep, that now follow Jesus. Maybe we partner with our city in some really unique ways that helps instill values and ideals that are in line with the kingdom of God and the community begins to flourish as we talked about last week. And the flourishing of that city and the values and the ideals that are woven into the city's ethos persist for generations. Maybe that's the work that we're given to. I think that's the mindset that we have to have. That when you come to this place, it isn't just about what happens on a Sunday morning and it's not just about what happens in our lives, but when you serve, when you teach kids, when you share your faith, when you give your energy and your time and when you give your money, it isn't just about this. It isn't just about right now, but it's about the manifold wisdom of God being made known to the world through the church from the beginning of time to the end of time. It is something that is not bound or confined by people or place, but it is something that God preserves against the rage of the world against it. And so here's, here's my ask. Join us. Would you give your time? Would you give your resources? Would you give your money to something that you may never see the result of? You may never see the final project. You may never see the fullness of what God is doing through us. But would you join us? And and listen, you may look at us and go like, I have no idea how what we are doing as a community and what happens on Sunday morning and throughout a week, I have no idea how this would have a ripple effect for 300 years and beyond. And, And I'll be frank with you, Neither do I, but if this is only about right now, like I'll just be honest with you, if this is just about right now, then we're kind of foolish, right? What we are doing has to be about something greater. 
And listen, it may seem small and insignificant to us, but again, as the confession said, even if it seems small to human eyes, even if it feels like it's being snuffed out, God is preserving it, God is using it, and it will last for eternity because we are a part of that community. So would you give? If you already are, thank you. If you're serving, oh, we can't do this without you. And what you are doing is more than, 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 than the task itself, but it's connected to this bigger story of God. If you aren't serving, would you consider serving? Join in this movement that is much greater than us. If you're giving financially, thank you. And maybe pray about more, giving more. And if you aren't giving at all, maybe pray about giving. Join in what God is doing. Participate in this thing that is much bigger than us. Because this, this is what it means to be a part of the church. This is what it means to have been gathered by God into this place, in this little sea place, as a part of the big sea. And know that whatever it is you do, it's helping make the manifold wisdom of God known to the world and to the heavenly realms. Let's pray. Father, it seems like a ludicrous idea that you would use fallen and broken human beings to make your manifold wisdom known. And yet we trust that your Holy Spirit has been sent. Sent to empower us, to equip us to do this work. And I pray that we would persevere in it, that we would never lose sight of what it is that we are ultimately about and what it is that you will do through the church. May we be willing to give our lives to it. May we be willing to give our time and our energy and our resources to it because we, we long to see your shalom on earth as it is in heaven. We give you thanks that we have the privilege of being a part of your church. May the gospel of Jesus Christ reign in our lives and in our community and may it be a light in the darkness. May it be a testament to your goodness and may it be a, a witness to the cross of Christ and his salvation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. At this time the